Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're here this morning as we try to find some answers to questions. And our viewers ask the questions on this program. Most religious TV programs tell you what they think you need to hear or what they think you want to hear. Uh, we don't know for sure what you want to hear, so we just let you tell us, and that's how this program works. There's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. They'll be there all through the program. You can use those anytime, and uh, just tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. We get real specific questions. Uh, where is something, or what's this mean? And we get a lot of general questions about, well, what's the Bible principle on this thing that's going on in the world right now, or this government program, or what's the Bible say about that, or maybe my family, or my finances, uh, how does the Bible help me with that? Uh, we'd be glad to try to answer any of those kind of questions on Know Your Bible. So use the phone number of the website, get in touch with us, you direct the program. Let me introduce my partner, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back with us and ready to go <clears throat> on some of these good questions, and our viewers keep us filled up with questions, and we'll go as fast as we can here, but we always start with one. A uh, pretty simple one sometimes for our viewers at home. Uh, Joseph went to Egypt, sold as a slave, got a pretty good job. Who was his first boss in Egypt? Who did Joseph work for when he first got to Egypt? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you and your family know the answer. All right, Toby, I think you got a Lord's Supper question to Just start with here. A viewer asked the question, why should we partake of the Lord's Supper every week? Well, I always like the why questions. Uh, we, of course, know that Jesus established the Lord's Supper for his followers and disciples. Uh, Matthew, Mark, uh, Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, all of these record that where he was <clears throat> celebrating the Passover with the apostles. And as he celebrated with them, then he said, do this and now as you do this, you're taking of my body and taking of my blood, not in a literal sense, but in a, a memorial sense, that every time you take this, uh, you honor me. And it's a very good practice, certainly was part of the early church's practice and how they did things, and I think it's good for us. Uh, the apostles uh, reaffirmed the practice. Uh, Paul, the apostle Paul addressed the church at Corinth and said they, the reason they had so many problems uh, the reason that they had so many difficulties was because they weren't doing it in the right way. It had kind of just become a commonplace thing to them, and they were focusing on the emblems of the meal and, and not at all the meaning of the meal. And Paul said, when you, when you take of this, you ought to examine yourself. So it's not only good for churches, I think it's good for us. It's a recentering of our spiritual life and an examination of ourselves and just a time to <clears throat> stop and, and take out of your week to remember what Jesus did for you, remember why you uh, committed to Him as Lord, and reaffirm that commitment, 
and uh, to also to acknowledge the body. Usually churches do that together and we do it as a group and, and uh, I think that's a good uh, thing not only for us individually but us in community as well. And we know the early church did this. Um, Acts chapter 20 verse 7, uh, we'll look at this verse on the screen. It says, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread and <clears throat> we know from the time the earth church started in Acts chapter 2 and of course Paul here reaffirms that this was a continual practice that they did this on the first day of the week and so we just continue to do that every first day of the week and uh, I think it is uh, not only commanded but Jesus commanded it for a reason uh, and it's good for us individually it's good for us in community and so I don't think there's really any reason to not want to I think it's a good good thing to do and uh, cer certainly part of the Christian practice think so. All right. Uh, last week, Toby, you had a question about mm. uh, baptism and sprinkling and is sprinkling baptism and all that uh, obviously stirred a question in some viewers' mind. And so they asked it this way, uh, should you be rebaptized if your church did sprinkling? So they heard you evidently that <laughs> no, sprinkling is not really baptism or it wasn't in the first century. Uh, so if you were sprinkled, if that's what your church practiced, uh, should you do it over again and be immersed? Uh, let me explain just a little bit about the history, and I think Toby may have covered some of this. For centuries, uh, no Christians did anything but immersion. That was baptism. After hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, it started with what they called clinical baptism, uh, there was a fellow that was about to die and was so weak that he couldn't be immersed. And they thought, well, he wants to be baptized. How do we do this? And they said, well, let's just pour some water on him instead of uh, immersing him. And we'll count that. And a lot of people didn't like that. A lot of people disagreed with the church's decision to do that. Uh, and from there it became more and more common. And pretty soon the Eastern Church or the Western Church said, uh, we're going to count sprinkling. Uh, it's not really immersion, but we're going to count it anyway. And that led to a big part of the big division in Christianity between the Eastern Church and the Western Church. The Orthodox Church still immerses today. Uh, the Western Church, Catholic Church, does not uh, sprinkle. So uh, that was a huge division in all of Christianity. So uh, that's where the practice came from. For centuries, nobody would have even thought that uh, sprinkling was baptism. Let me answer the question this way. Uh, in Paul's day, that question would have made absolutely no sense. Now, I know it makes sense today. Our viewer said, should you be rebaptized if your church sprinkled? Uh, if you asked the Apostle Paul that question and walked up to him and said, should you be rebaptized if my church sprinkled? Uh, in his language, he wouldn't understand it. Let me show you why. There are two distinct words in the Bible, and Toby mentioned them last week, but I want to show you so you see them in print. Uh, this is from directly from Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. If you look up sprinkle, there's a Greek word for that, rantizo. It means to sprinkle, and it's used in Hebrews 9.13 where it talks about the old priest used to sprinkle the blood. Okay. It uses the word rantizo because it means sprinkle. But then the other word is baptizo, which means to dip or the process of immersion, submersion, and emergence. 
Okay, you immerse, you put the person or whatever you're doing into the water, you submerge it completely under the water, and then it emerges from the water. Okay, uh, whether you're washing dishes or baptizing someone, you put them into the water, you put them clear under the water, and you bring them back out of the water, and the word they'd use for that is baptize or baptizo. Okay, so if you went up to the Apostle Paul and asked this question in his language, You'd say, should I be rebaptizoed if I was rantizoed? And he'd say, that doesn't make sense. Uh, rantizoing is not baptizoing. It's a completely different thing. So uh, I'll just leave it at that. The, the word in the first century uh, meant immersion. That's what we teach is the acceptable form of baptism. Now, what you think about the change over the centuries and the decision by the Western Church to accept sprinkling as immersion, uh, that's up to you. If you think that was a good decision and God won't care, then don't worry about it. But if you're trying to go to the New Testament and do exactly what the New Testament church did, I think immersion is certainly the safe way. It's certainly what it meant in that day. Uh, and I personally would certainly be baptized if I had never been yeah. immersed. Yeah. All right, Toby, your turn. About yes. tombstones That's here. A good explanation <laughs> of that question, by the way. Uh, a viewer wants to know, is it true that all tombstones face east, and why? Well, I'm not an authoritative uh, expert on uh, every tombstone. Every tombstone that I've ever seen has always faced to the east, and I think that's a pretty uh, common practice or tradition. And I, I certainly think it's a, a fine thing to do, but I suppose maybe there's tombstones all over the world and some of those don't face east and there's no problem with that either. Uh, it's a tradition that the body faces, faces east, especially in a Christian burial, uh, because they kind of take uh, probably farther than Jesus meant to uh, the idea that they think Jesus is going to return from the east. Well, where they get that is from one verse where Jesus uh, spoke about that. And we'll look at it on the screen, Matthew chapter 24, verse 27. He said, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And so somebody, I don't know where that tradition started, uh, but they said, Hey, Jesus is coming back in the east, so we'll bury the body. Uh, face it in the east so that we're... Uh, we're, we're ready and waiting. And I kind of like that idea. Um, I have young children, and whenever we talk about uh, grandma's coming over, uh, take them over to uh, spend, a, spend an evening with grandma or spend the night at grandma's, uh, they get all excited and they get their bags packed and they're ready to go. And I, I like that idea of just being, you know, ready to go, ready for Jesus to come back. Of course, uh, that's not just how we should die. <laughs> that's how we should live. We should live in a ready state. So uh, is that a command? No, it's a custom. It's a, it's a fine custom and certainly a wonderful thing, uh, but it, there's no biblical mandate for it. It's just kind of a extrapolation of a verse. So uh, that's where that comes from. Okay. We take this moment to invite you to study the Bible with some Know Your Bible study tools. We offer these each week. Uh, they're free to you and we're happy to provide them for you and uh, they'll come in the mail correspondence course won't cost you anything for postage and it won't cost you anything for the lessons uh, you'll never be asked for money or you won't get on a mailing list there's really nothing bad that can happen <laughs> if you request this course 
Uh, but a lot of good things can happen. You can learn more about the Bible. Uh, you can form a regular habit of Bible study. If you go through these eight lessons and then uh, take some of the more advanced courses, it won't be long before you're looking forward to your daily or weekly Bible study or however you do it. Uh, some people get them and do them in a group uh, once a week. A lot of people work through them themselves daily. Uh, it's up to you. You can use the courses any way you want, and uh, we think you'll get a lot of good out of them. So phone number, website are on the screen. Use either one of them. Tell us you'd like that free course, and we'll get you started. All right, viewer wants to know about uh, Jesus' baptism. Interesting question. Why was Jesus <coughs> baptized if baptism is for the remission of sins? Uh, he had no sin. Uh, Age-old question. A lot of people have wondered about that. Uh, let me state first that baptism is for the remission of sins. Uh, viewer said, if it is. Well, it is. Acts 2.38 makes it very clear that baptism is when our sins are forgiven. Apostle uh, Peter told people on the day of Pentecost, uh, you repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the purpose of it. Uh, your sins will be remitted at that time and you'll also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the purpose of it is the forgiveness of sins. Viewers also correct that Jesus had no sin. So why did he need to be baptized? Well, you're not the only one to wonder about that. Uh, John the baptizer wondered about that. And you read the story, Jesus came to John and said, I want you to baptize me. And John about had a stroke. He said, I can't baptize you. He said, I'm not worthy to untie your sandals. He said, you ought to be baptizing me. And so Jesus gave him the answer. And this is the answer to your question in Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. Let's look together. Uh, Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Okay, so there's the answer. And Jesus was a little stern about it. He said, let it be so now. Uh, we're going to do this, and it's going to fulfill all righteousness. So what do you mean by that? Uh, I think he was looking forward to what the whole process of baptism means. He was identifying himself with sinners. No, he had no sin then, but he was going to have sin. In fact, he was going to have all sin placed on him. He would become sin. Uh, he would be totally identified with all sinners. He would take the punishment for all sinners. And baptism pictures the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. Uh, he was putting this all together because God had commanded, would command baptism for all sinners. Uh, it was a demonstration of what God wants. Uh, he was fulfilling all righteousness. Uh, kind of like the high priest, uh, when they went into the, the temple, uh, they did a lot of things. They washed themselves, they anointed themselves, uh, maybe they weren't dirty at that time. Maybe they didn't really need that, but they were picturing for the people that before you go before God, you have to be cleansed. You have to do this. So the priest did that every time he went into the temple. Uh, Jesus did it then, and God took that time to affirm that this was a good thing, that he had fulfilled all righteousness. The Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and lit on Jesus, and the Father himself spoke from heaven and said, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. So uh, it was the fulfillment of all righteousness. No, Jesus had no sins, but very shortly he would become sin for us. 
and this puts the whole picture together for us so we understand it. That's so. a great answer. And we remember, too, that Jesus was a teacher and a rabbi, and he said, uh, he said when a student is fully trained, he'll be like his teacher. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, there's that aspect, too, I think, just like you said about the high priest, you know, that he was you know, possibly doing this as a way to show them, hey, this is this is part of the new covenant. This is part of the new kingdom, and uh, just so then, yeah, what God's will was. Exactly. For man. Sure. Okay. Sure. No, good answer. Uh, the next question a viewer asked is: Were there any other human beings, or any other beings, before Adam and Eve? Well, <clears throat> Steve. Uh, spoke earlier about Googling, and uh, here's the danger of Google. You might find some of that stuff because um, there's lots of theories. Uh, we even have questions here about uh, there's theories about uh, somebody, a uh, human being created named Lilith, that she was before Eve, and uh, the, some people believe that there was an, you know, perhaps alien beings and all of this. And, and biblically speaking, uh, that's just pure fiction. Uh, there is nothing in the Bible about that. There's nothing addressed as that. Uh, it's interesting to think about, but it's nowhere near true. Uh, just as long as you understand that from the Bible perspective, there was only one creation story. And in that, uh, God created all of creation, uh, the world and the universe. Uh, he formed it and then he filled it and he filled it with all the plants and all the vegetation and all the animals and then he create had the apex the zenith the high point the very best of his creation made unlike any other part of creation in god's image and that is uh, human beings and the first two the bible says was uh, adam and eve in genesis uh, chapter one and we're going to read that together on the screen then god said let us make man in our image after our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and over the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth. So God created man in his own image. So the answer to the question is no, absolutely not. And, um, you know, it's I understand that those people dream up those things all the time, but it's definitely not in the Bible and you don't have to worry about any of that. All right. We've got a diet question here. <clears throat> A uh, viewer wants to know, are Christians limited as to what they can eat and drink? Are there special uh, regulations or rules in the Bible that limit Christians uh, as to what they can eat and drink? Uh, my answer is no. Uh, we are not limited uh, as to what we can eat and drink by law or by rule or uh, any commandments in the Bible. In fact, I'll show you one that proves what I just said. Let's look at Colossians 2 verse 16. And Paul said, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Okay. So there are some people today that say, all right, well, looky, this Old Testament verse says you can't eat this or you can't eat that. So you can't eat that. Well, Paul says, don't let them judge you <laughs> by what you eat or drink. There's no rules anymore. Uh, we can, everything is good. God's given it to us for eating food and sustenance. So we're not limited by the Bible in that sense. There's no law or regulation. Now, I know a lot of people have Bible diets today. People are getting rich and famous by picking something out of the Bible and saying, if you eat only Bible grains, you'll be healthier. Well, you probably will be healthier because they they're good for you. 
Uh, there's lots of people making money that way. Of, uh, those diets probably work just fine if you follow them. Any diet works if you follow it. Uh, we are limited by some biblical principles, however, I think. Uh, I think we're limited by common sense. Uh, if we just figure out, hey, my pants don't fit anymore and, you know, I, I breathe hard going up the stairs, uh, maybe you need to change what you eat and drink. Uh, we're limited by health desires. We want to be healthy. We want uh, to live a long life and be around for our kids and grandkids and all that. Uh, I think we're limited by the fact that we realize we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're not supposed to glorify this body or worship it, but we ought to take care of it. Uh, we shouldn't do things that destroy it since it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I think the main thing we're limited by is that we're told to do things in moderation and that we have an influence on other people. So I think there's a lot of things that we forsake in eat and drink uh, because of our influence and because of our moderation as Christians. Uh, Paul, remember, said, I won't let anything master me. Uh, so if there's some food or some drink that you can't do without, that you've got to have or you can't function, you've been mastered. Uh, and as a Christian, you might want to consider that and change your habits. So I think there's a few things that limit us, but we don't have a rule or a regulation. If somebody tells you the Bible says you've got to eat this or not eat this, I go back to Colossians 2.16. Don't let anyone judge you on what you eat or drink. All right, let me take this moment out of our questions here, Toby, and invite folks to visit the Church of Christ near them or a Church of Christ near them. Uh, we like to mention a few each week and talk about who keeps us on the air today. Let's mention the home church of Know Your Bible, the Northside Church of Christ. Uh, we're right here in Wichita, Kansas, where the program originates and goes all over 10 states. But uh, the Northside's the home church. We're up at North Meridian on the way to Valley Center, and we're always uh, happy to have guests. And we uh, do have a number of folks that stop in and ask them why they're there. And I say, well, I watch Know Your Bible. I see you on TV. And, I just wanted to see what the church was like here, and we're so happy to have them and uh, welcome them and uh, glad to have them visit anytime. Uh, if you're looking for a special place, Northside is a special place. We have a program called Celebrate Recovery. Uh, it works for life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups, 7 p.m. Thursday nights. Uh, lots of folks come from the community and other places uh, to avail themselves of this uh, meeting that uh, really does help folks in life and with problems in life. So uh, drop in and visit us sometime or wherever you are in the, our viewing area. Uh, visit the Church of Christ. Thank them for providing this program for you. Uh, if you're searching for a church home, you'd be warmly welcomed, I bet, at any Church of Christ. So stop in and visit one sometime. All right, Toby. Uh, viewer wants to know about the end of the world. Specifically, is it possible to predict the end of the world? Yes, it is possible to predict the end of the world. However, I will warn you that the accuracy rate is very, very, very low. Uh, so far, it's zero, in fact. Um, many people predict the end of the world. It's very popular in religion to do that, get people all worked up, sell a lot of books, maybe a market a movie here or there. Uh, that happens, of course, outside the religious world. Uh, Forty years ago, the world was going to end by global cooling. Uh, these days, it's going to end by global warming. They've changed it to global change. Uh, everything, everyone has the ability to predict the end of the world. Uh, the question is, how accurate is that going to be? And uh, if you get into accuracy, 
uh, then no, it's not at all possible to predict the end of the world uh, because yeah, it's just something that's a mystery to us. Uh, and even Jesus said that. Um, and so we'll read from Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. He said, but concerning that day, and that is the day of the end of the world, that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And so getting to somebody who thinks they uh, have in mind when exactly the end of the world's going to happen and how it's going to happen, uh, you're just getting into a vicious cycle that's been repeated many, many times throughout human history, and so far none of them have been correct. But the world will end. I'm not saying don't be prepared for it. Just don't worry too much about the uh, exact day or time. You just be ready for whenever it comes. Be ready. Yep, good that's advice. an important thing. All right. Viewer wants to know, can a preacher become an apostle? Can a preacher become an apostle? Well, uh, not a real one. That's, that's my best answer. Uh, you can become, anybody can call themselves anything, uh, but you can't become a real apostle today. Uh, and people do call themselves apostles sometimes. I think in the movie The Apostle with uh, Robert Duvall, I think he baptized himself and just went out in the creek and baptized himself and called himself an apostle uh, and got away with it as far as I know. So you can call yourself anything. In fact, I got to thinking, it's like that movie, Catch Me If You Can. Uh, the guy claimed he was an airline pilot and claimed he was a doctor and he did all sorts of things and got away with it uh, for a long time. They couldn't catch him at it, so he called himself things. And yes, a preacher can call himself an apostle, but he's not a real one. Now, the reason I can say that with confidence is because the requirements to be an apostle are listed in the Bible. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 21, uh, Judas had died and the other 11 apostles were looking for a replacement. And so Peter said, we got to pick a replacement. Uh, we've got to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time. From John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So hold that up there just a minute. There's the requirements. You have to have seen uh, you had to have traveled with the apostles from the time John baptized Jesus to the time Jesus was taken up into heaven after his resurrection, and you have to have witnessed the resurrection. Okay, if you meet, I guess I should qualify things. If you meet those three requirements, you can be an apostle. Uh, but nobody today, obviously, uh, meets those three requirements, so nobody they can be a real apostle. Now, the word apostle just means messenger. Uh, so if you use it in that term, uh, yeah, I can be a messenger for Christ, uh, but not one of the 12, actually 13 or 14, if you count Matthias and Paul, apostles. We don't have those anymore today because we don't have anybody that meets the requirements. All right, uh, trivia question time, I think. Let's make sure we get that answered. I ask, who was Joseph's first boss in Egypt? Who was his first job there? And you remember he had a boss named Potiphar. And Potiphar was a pretty good boss. Uh, the problem was Potiphar's wife. And if you read the story, uh, Joseph had a little trouble with Potiphar's wife and uh, had to leave and get thrown in prison and all of that went from there. But God was taking care of things in Joseph's life. But he had a good job working for Potiphar and rose to uh, prominence in that job originally in Egypt. We're glad you've been with us today and uh, we're going to invite you to come back next week. Yeah, we'll see if we can answer some more of your questions. 
So come back and we'll answer some. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.